I'm Laura Vinrit Poole of Capital, and this is What We Wore. Adeline Lee is a talented independent designer who's uniquely attuned to the powerful women she designs for. She chooses to focus on light energy rather than dark and being gracious and kind, which filters from her team to the stitching in her clothes. Adeline, I'm so happy to have you here. You're in London. I'm in Charlotte. But where are you from? Uh, I was born in Vancouver. I have a Korean background, but born in Canada. I'm also British. I live in London, uh, the United Kingdom. And how do you think growing up in Canada informed who you've become? I think that it's informed a lot of how I think and what I value. Um, I think that um, in a way, it's Canada has kind of a clean and simple upbringing in a way. And, um, and I think that's taught me to value you know, clean and simple things <laughs> in a way. Well, and, and you're certainly nice. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the stereotype. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know a lot of mean Canadians, I will say. <laughs> were, I, were either of your parents creative? Not exactly. No, they weren't. In fact, they didn't like the idea of me going into the creative industries at all. <laughs> um, they very much uh, wanted me to have what they considered a safe career. And I had to fight a lot, actually, as a young person to go to art school. My father actually made me sign a contract in the end um, <laughs> where I agreed to apply to law school and get into law school before I could go on to do a fashion degree. And um, wow. and I think that helped me a lot, actually. It made me very determined. And that's one quality that you really need to have as a designer. And were you naturally creative? I mean, do you remember drawing as a child or being interested in fashion? I remember um, when I first discovered that fashion is powerful, mm. I, I matched my T-shirt to my socks and <laughs> and everybody noticed and and I felt empowered by that. And, um, I, and I realized that what you wear can influence how others think um, about you. And, and I think that was something that I, uh, you know, I, I learned quite early on. And what age was that around? I must have been like 10 or 11 years old. And then I went into kind of, um, I, I signed up for home economics classes. We had that in Canada. And, oh, and wow. I learned how to sew and I loved yeah. the craft of um, craft of making. And I, I really discovered that um, in school. So I started making clothes from that time on. First, I started ripping apart all my mom's clothes. And then, <laughs> and then I started making clothes. How did, how did that go over? <laughs> well, I have to say, I think I regret it more than she does because um, now, now I'm like, oh my gosh, look what I did to all my, my, my mom's clothes that I would love to have now. <laughs> and you went to a regular, not an arts high school, just a regular academic high school. Where did you go to college and how, what did you study? Well, I first went to McGill in Montreal and I studied uh, sociology and East Asian studies. And I did a lot of theater while I was there. So I worked in costume mm -hmm. and I prepared a portfolio the entire time. I knew that that's where I wanted to go next. And so I prepared for that. And just drawing on the side with no with no mentor or no classes around it, just sort of sketching? I did have I did have a mentor who was an artist, a fine artist, and he um, he kind of led me through um, all the basics of, you know, like perspective and different mediums. And my portfolio was more of a fine art kind of 
portfolio than uh, when I applied to Central St. Martins, than uh, than a fashion portfolio. And then how did you know that you wanted to go there? It was the dream. When I was growing up, it was Alexander McQueen and John Galliano <laughs> in the magazines, and they all went to St. Martins, and I would read about those stories. I was the teenager kind of reading Vogue on my bed, dreaming about going to the school that everyone had gone to. So did you finish at McGill? You finished in sociology? I graduated and I fast-tracked it. I was so determined to get into art school. I did my LSATs and sent my portfolios off at the same time. And then <laughs> and then I ended up here in London. Did you apply to law school at all or you just did that for your dad? I did apply to law school and I did get into a law school. Uh, my dad, he paid them to kind of hold my space on the course for years afterwards. He didn't, I, but he never, he never, you know, bothered me about it afterwards. I had done my end of the deal, but he, um, he made sure that I had a backup basically. How did the conversation go where you said, I'm, I, I'm glad I got into law school, but I'm actually not going to do that. I'm going to get a, oh, oh, study. oh, they, they knew. I mean, he, he knew that that's what I wanted to do. I was, you know, we fought about it a lot. We did a lot of kitchen table dinners where I was, you know, <laughs> I was like, I know this is what I want to do. That's all I want to do. And I don't want to do this. And so they knew, of course, that if I got into fashion school, I, you know, and I had kind of leapt through that barrier that that was what I wanted to do. So it wasn't really, uh, yeah, and, it was a given. An yeah. <laughs> And how did you show them that that was something that you could do? Were you an intern or did you do anything in Montreal that... I was working in theater, so student theater. Um, I was making costumes. And then I was offered at one point a job for a movie. I don't know. I, I was so convinced. But I think it was actually all of those family arguments that that made me... It was black or white for me. I knew that this is where I needed to be. And in fact, I was I was so stressed about not starting earlier, you know, that I might get old and run out of time. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so. Isn't that so funny to think about now? You're like, oh my God. <laughs> I know. It's hilarious because you realize that, um, you know, of course... <laughs> The reasons why you want to be a designer or want to go into fashion are not necessarily the reasons why you stay in the right. in the industry. In that sense, I was lucky because I discovered over time that I do have a capacity for this, that I love the actual day to day of my work and that there's other reasons why I love this and why it works for me. I think that's sheer luck. I think the idea that you have when you first start down a career path isn't necessarily what you will be doing in the end. What was that first day at St. Martin's like? Um, how was it different from McGill? At the time, the buildings were the old buildings of St. Martin's, and they were very worn in a way. And I remember walking through the halls thinking, John Galliano stepped on this very floor, <laughs> you know, and um, it was wonderful. The, my first year at St. Martin's was just like a dream come true. Was it clear to you that you were you should be there? I adored it. It was um, the first year was very much immersive and it was kind of a background of everything. So we did, you know, segments in fine art and segments in uh, product design or industrial design. So it was actually very broad um, education and I loved it. I just got my hands dirty and I carried this gigantic portfolio every day and traveled for an hour and a half there and back from school. And I just thought it was great. It was very, very rewarding. I had a wonderful teacher my first year and who's still a mentor to me this day. So um, it was very clear to me that I had done the right thing. Um, I knew that I had done the right thing. You know, <laughs> it, took, it took a few more years for my parents to catch up. 
Yeah. <laughs> what was the most powerful piece of advice that you received from your mentor? My mentor, Peter Taus, used to kind of yell at us, think like water. Water, you know, seeps around the cracks. It's fluid. It's flexible. It, it changes property. It's much more powerful than you might think. He constantly pounded out of me the idea of thinking square. So in angles and putting things into a box. I think of that to this day as well. A lot of fashion is about creatively solving problems as well. Um, it, it's not just in terms of design, but in terms of how you produce it, how you get it out into the world. And we're constantly have to think of another way to do things, how to, how to maybe look bigger than you are or show up in a small amount of time, like do something that's more impactful than you imagine that you could. And so you have to always think like water. That's so good. How long is that program? Was it three years? It was a three-year program um, with a foundation, but I actually took a year out to intern. I actually interned at Alexander McQueen, and then, mm. and then with John Galliano, which were all oh, my wow. all my dreams come true. Dreams. <laughs> um, and then I was offered a job by Zach Posen, um, and he was uh, starting up in New York at the time. So I actually dropped out in order to work with him. Was Peter supportive of that? To tell you the truth, my the St. Martin's tutors didn't like the idea. They they felt that it was important to finish the degree and to kind of graduate with your class. Peter always likened us to racehorses, like all lined up, you know, and Zach was doing fabulous things in New York and I really wanted to be there. So I dropped out and worked with him for a while, but I did in the end come back and graduate. So they let me back in. And tell me of, of those three internships of Galliano and McQueen and, and then the job at, at Zach, what were the most important things you learned from each? I think that when you're working at the level that they were at the time, Galliano was, of course, the head of Dior at the time. And I, I think the main thing that you learn is a level of quality that is needed to attain luxury and mm. the level of detail that you work at, um, especially with McQueen as well. Like a lot of those kind of show pieces were, you know, done by hand in the studio. So, um, you know, if you had a punch leather, you'd be, there'd be literally people punching each hole one by one. And, um, and that kind of level of quality, perfection, level uh, attention to detail is probably best learned in an environment where it's, where it, it is everything, you know? So, um, that that's what I learned, I think. And Zach, of course, was uh, he was so dynamic and young, and it was um, wonderful to kind of watch and be part of that that uh, that level of um, attention that he was getting as well. So yeah, I, I learned a lot. It's everything, actually. I think the the experiences you have working for other people are um, incredibly important if you ever want to start your own thing. Well, and I would think McQueen being. I think it was caring. Yes. And Dior being LVMH and then Zach being a family business that had just been invested into, I think, in this next stage that you were in. I think that probably was really interesting too, just knowing you and how you work now. Yes. I would imagine you learned a lot from that. It gave me a full circle view of the different yeah. kinds of <laughs> the different ways that you could work as a designer. I learned that I really enjoyed being able to have my hands in everything and that I liked the startup environment. I knew once I graduated from St. Martin's that I didn't want to go and work for a giant company. It was important for that too, to figure that out. 
the people that you worked with in those the internships had they had similar experience as you? I mean, had they all been to fashion school or or were some of them self taught or what what were what was that environment like? Well, it was very competitive to get these internships. So mm-hmm. I yeah, most of them were from fashion schools. The staff was very international. There were kids from every every country. There are all kinds of languages at around the cutting table. Um, I couldn't have asked for better in a way. And in an environment like that, how do you keep your own point of view? I mean, how do you remember sort of what you what you love and what you believe in when you're, especially with somebody as powerful, I think, mm-hmm. um, personality-wise as mm-hmm. as Lee or as Galliano? Like, how do you keep your your internal compass? I don't know if you can. It's so immersive and so um, difficult and fast-paced. Um, you almost have to just kind of keep your head down and do your best with every task that you're given. And um, and you only really think about your compass afterwards. I don't think I was trying to put like Adeline Lee into whatever I was doing there. You know, it was more <laughs> just, <laughs> I was just trying to complete the task well. Probably that's all they wanted as well. Was there a moment in that where you felt like you knew that you wanted to do this on your own? Because most people don't do that. Yeah. So after, um, whilst I was working at Zach, I realized I realized that I really was missing. I, I I felt that I could professionally go on and work for other designers without any uh, uh, risk to my career. Like I, I knew that I could get another job somewhere else, but I did feel the lack of having graduated myself, um, of having had done my own final collection or to know, right. to know, I think in a way when you're in like fashion a, like school, like a lift off. Yeah. When you're at fashion school, I think the, the culmination is your final collection and your final show. And that's when you're like, this is who I am, you know? And so right, I, right. I felt that I missed that, which is exactly what St. Martin's had told me I would miss. And <laughs> <laughs> so they were right. <laughs> and, um, and so I, I called them kind of with my tail between my legs and asked to come back. And how old were you, Adeline, at that time? Um, I was in my kind of early mid-20s and I um, and they were very warm and welcoming. I kept, went back, I did a year and prepared my final collection and I just went um, nuts like in my collection. I just did, <laughs> I wanted to use everything, all the fabric, do all the skills, you know, and so it's looked quite different from maybe what my collection looks like today. It was, it was a lot about just showing what I could do with my collection. Now it's, it's much more refined. Um, and it's, it's much more aware of who my customer is as well, you know? So, um, it's, it's kind of a different perspective, um, with a bit more maturity, basically. From our pre-interview, it it sounds like you went through tremendous personal and professional shifts within the first few years out of school when you're working for the Rodnick band. That was my first job out of university. I needed a um, a work permit to stay in the UK as well. And they, um, I'm very grateful that they got me one. They started their brand and were very good at marketing and didn't have a fashion background. So I I kind of stepped in to, to do that. So I was the head designer for them. And they were growing rapidly um, at the time. So we, um, it was a great experience for me. I um, kind of ran a studio and designed it and we were growing and we were dealing with real buyers. And so I learned a lot from working there. Um, and I was there for a little bit. And then and then I started thinking about starting my own brand after that. What was the impetus to start your own brand? I mean, how did you how did you know it was time? I always knew I had the desire. Um, and I felt that maybe I could be ready. Um, I but the truth is actually, um, I kind of found out 
at the time that I thought that I couldn't have kids. I thought, well, if I'm not going to be able to have kids, I should start my own business. Of course, I then got pregnant. <laughs> so <laughs> so um, that didn't really work out the way I planned. But so I, I, I left thinking I'm going to start my own brand and then got pregnant, basically. So, that, so it took, life kind of took over for a bit. And how did your perspective change after having a baby? So much. You suddenly see the real world in a way. Um, I think until then, I was still designing for a fantasy in my head. And I was I was too young to really be my own customer either. So it was always this fantasy of what who we were designing for. And I think having a child kind of made me, I mean, it, it has a way of kind of uh, cl- clarifying a lot of things, <laughs> having a child. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I start, you know, I really, um, it made me really rationalize and think about um, exactly what the people, and it started to be that I started knowing people that were, were my customers. So, um, so I, you know, I could see what kind of lives they lived. I mean, women have very demanding lives and, and more so when they have children and a career and, you know, all kinds of things, you know, I started realizing the demands that were on women to, um, uh, in terms of just like the things that they had to execute in a day and, and how do you dress that woman that needs to basically, drop off their kids, go do this, go do that, look good for that, you know, you know, and, and, um, yeah. you know, the kind of 18,000 things that every woman does. Um, I think that perspective only came from, for me after I had a baby myself. And that's when you started the business and and what was, was it Adeline Lee then? It was Adeline Lee and I just started it. A friend of mine was a jeweler. She asked me if I would, uh, make her clothes to present her jewelry and I made a collection for her to do that. And, and that was reviewed by Vogue and it Hamish Bowles actually came to that show and he wrote about it. So that was kind of my real start. A lot of women asked me um, if they could buy them and I wasn't set up for that. So I started making clothes <laughs> for women one by one. Essentially, that's what my brand is. I started by doing that. And then they um, every sale led to the next piece of clothing that I made. <laughs> And, uh, and every collection then paid for the next one. And we're still an independent brand today. Were you literally sewing these clothes? I mean, were you like the first groups of them? I was um, pattern cutting everything myself. Yeah. I, I cut every pattern. I had a machinist that helped me and um, sew them. But I was very involved in the making of them from the beginning. And I still am. I'm sitting here in my studio today. And we um, just on the other side of me, I have... Um, our workrooms. We do all of our production here. We do all everything um, here. So uh, it's it's British made, which is very unusual. Um, it's not yeah. it's not normal. But I I fell in love with having my hands in the production of the pieces, and I like when things have the feeling that they're handmade. That they, that you know, the soul of the person who made them is in the clothes, and I think it really is something that you can see and you can feel. There's one other internship I had or apprenticeship I had before the Dior and the McQueen um, was with the Savile Row tailor. He would teach me that, you know, they would stitch every single seam by hand. And and he would explain to me that, you know, if if a seam is stitched by hand, then it's uneven, it's made by like a human. And and that therefore, 
it's stronger and it's more resistant mm-hmm. than a seam that's stitched by machine. We would we would constantly talk about this, you know, what's the difference when something's really made by hand, made by a person? Mm-hmm. And and I really think it makes a difference if it's made by a person you know as well. When when it's a yeah. team of us working on it and putting love into it and bleeding over it and crying mm-hmm. over it when we make mistakes and <laughs> fixing it and all of these things, I think. Uh, can be felt in a garment. Um, it sounds a bit heebie-jeebie, but I do think it matters. I think um, I, I think that makes a difference, and um, I think that the woman, when they put it on, feel the difference. How do you grow with that being your ethos? Yeah, so you have to be really smart about it. You have to be very clever. Um, of course, it's more expensive to do it here than to do it. Um, I don't know in a third world country or you know a lot of designers produce outside um of uh, of a first world country um essentially i'm doing it by running my own factory i will scale the factory i hope i that's that's the plan i think because i've taken my time about growing and learning how to do it um you know it's all about um never wasting anything and and therefore clawing back some of those costs because we're being flexible and smart about how we're doing it. But yeah, it's labor. It adds time and work and expense to do it that way. But I I don't, like, as I said, I think that women will appreciate it. And I think that in the same way that if you put on a dress that your mother gave you, it feels different than a dress that you buy from a high street store, you know? And, And I think that it's the same thing with something that has that amount of emotion put into it. Hopefully people will buy my pieces and they'll last for a lifetime. Will you talk about why you chose to to grow your business thoughtfully and sustainably rather than pursuing rapid growth? Partly it was out of necessity because we were independent and we were growing slowly. Um, you know, I, I have a cautious kind of perspective towards business in that I, I don't ever want to spend money I don't have. I wanted to, in terms of lifestyle, I wanted to have everything near me. Um, you know, obviously I had this young child and I um, I wanted to be able to work and do everything without having to travel all the time. And so it became in a way organically um, a very sustainable brand. I had some great advice as well about fabrics and things like that from uh, an expert here. A couple of years ago, we were voted the top four most sustainable brands at London Fashion Week. Um, We're the only ones that were on schedule because we don't waste anything. We produce everything to order and we don't, we literally don't waste anything. We have boxes of scraps of everything and we (laughs) kind of pick through them. And that's one of the kind of early jobs in the studio for the junior studio assistants so that we can um, basically never throw out anything that's larger than a hand. That's our kind of goal. And it's, yeah, so it's kind of organically developed that way, but also just because of, um, you know, um, I guess my my personality, I don't like throwing things away. And because we're producing here in the first world, it means that you're already sustainable on a lot of levels. Um, yeah. A lot of our studio actually walk to work even, wow. you know, so yeah, um, there's very much a community sense. So I think the value of that also kind of pulled into it. And it's very, very rewarding. Um, and I hope we can do better. Um, there's still a long ways to go. Talk to me about the future lady. It's a really common question in interviews for people to ask who your muse is. And so I kind of made up the term future lady to be my muse. <laughs> it's it's not the kind of old sense of the word lady, um, but it's kind of who we would like to be 
who we aspire to be as women now. Um, like what is a lady in the future? Um, she's dignified. She's graceful. She's elegant. She's powerful. You know, she's kind. She's gracious. You know, like the woman that we aspire to be. And how do I dress that woman? How does she look? And um, I think it's a conundrum because we, a lot of times, fashion and clothing, there's so many meanings in clothing. She's louder, she's sexier, she's whatever, you know, like they're not exactly the values that um, that I want to dress. Do you know what I mean? And, um, yeah, I do. So, yeah. So I think that's, that's um, it's, it's always like a key point for me when I'm thinking about um, when I'm making something, does this work for that woman? Is it, does this make sense for her? And then how has it changed as you've started to wholesale? Has that been harder to be connected to the woman that you're designing for? Have you evolved for her? I think we continue to sell to a lot of private clients in London. The first group of women were women in the art world that bought from me, and they still do. Um, I have women who have bought every single collection from the beginning, and they continue to wear it. I learned so much from being in the changing room with them. I, I've learned <laughs> what works in their lives. They've taught me in a way how to dress. And women in the art world are, obviously, they travel a lot. They need to yeah. um, look together all the time. They need to be able to stand in a refined, maybe expensive environment against a big work of art and look powerful themselves. They want to be feminine. They don't want to look like a fashion plate. Like they, they have... Um, very strict requirements. They don't want to wrinkle. They don't want to be wrinkled when they arrive. They might have serious jewelry. So the clothes have to suit that, but they might also want to just be together without any jewelry. So our, our kind of like unbranded signature kind of um, decorative details, like our buckles and our buttons and things like that kind of stand in for that. They taught me a lot and they still do. I still dress them. And um, and it's one of the most rewarding parts Um of the work that I do, which is what I think in also in um, shops like yours, like the working with the clients really teaches you how to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we, I mean, we have all of our buyers always work on the floor before they buy. Yeah. Because you can't, I mean, how do you know? What you're yeah. Doing? We do maybe like four or five fittings a week in the studio and it's always the fun part. You know, to, yeah. to try things on, see what works for that woman, see what comes to life on that woman. And it's wonderful. You know that you've got a winner when it works on many different women, but looks completely yeah. different on each one mm. because their spirit comes through. And that's that's the perfect balance, I think, as a designer. I love that. Talk to me a little bit about your shows. They're they're very creative. And, and why is that process important to you? Early on, I didn't want to to do runway shows. I thought they were boring. <laughs> so I um I wanted to try all these things. I had this big interest in theater as well. So I I I I did a lot of ideas based around kind of one-to-one theater and immersive shows and um a lot of like things that people are doing now, but we were doing it from the very beginning. Um I, I have a big interest in film. So I I like to make films um both with other directors and I've also directed my own um for the collections. It's a way to kind of expound on an idea and try something, surprise the audience. And then that kind of gives us energy for the next collection and a different kind of motivation to move forward. It makes it more fun for the studio as well. It's just a, it's a regenerative activity in a way to yeah. do the kind of shows that we've done. And some of them, um, for example, like Autumn Winter 19, where we had 35 women speak Basically, I worked with Mary Beard, uh, who wrote a book called Woman and Power, and she 
talked about in ancient Greece and in ancient Rome, women weren't allowed to speak in public. That was the extent of misogyny. I thought, well, actually in fashion shows, we were always showing silent women wearing these clothes. Yeah. And and all this time I'm talking about how all these powerful women are wearing my clothes. And I know that's true, <laughs> you know, and, and I thought when they're wearing my clothes yeah. and speaking, that's when I get the biggest kick. And so I thought um, I'm going to have a show that's only speaking. And we had 35 women, three minutes each speak about their power. And, and they were, they were women from all kinds of backgrounds they were Olympians and scientists and politicians. And then we had the models introduce the woman they were basically the mentees and the models were wearing the new collection. The women were all wearing black at Lenny and it was a really powerful show. And uh, we continue to do that to this day. We, we have a speaker series that we are, um, that we do multiple times a year here in London. And uh, we're, we're planning uh, one in New York right now as well. Um, so it's, it's like a hobby <laughs> on the side I that, that I do. Yeah. You film them as well. We do film them. They're on our YouTube channel and they're just wonderful. I just, it's really inspiring, actually. It's um, It gives us motivation and helps everyone to understand what we're trying to do, who we're dressing. How do you share that with your team, what you believe in and, and, and what, what you think this brand is for women? How do you share that with your team? It's more like, can I share less <laughs> with my team? I mean, I'm I'm here. I'm like, a, I'm a homebody or a studio body or whatever you call it. I'm here <laughs> all the time talking about it constantly. They get a kick out of it. I mean, and then they meet the woman as well, because these fittings that we're doing are, you know, are women. And it all makes sense when you, you know, um, when you're, when you're dressing them and you see what they're doing and they're, and then we talk about them and we, so it's, it's kind of, it just immerses itself into the studio and into our purpose. 99% of the work is not that one, the client wearing the, the gown. It's amazing how much work goes into that one moment, Yeah, which is really what it's all about, I guess. It's a lifestyle in a way. This this career path is not um, it's not really a nine to five job. It's it's kind of <laughs> holistic and, and, it, and it kind of infiltrates all parts of everything. One of the things you wrote in your pre-interview also was, if you challenge yourself to do the things that you fear, you soon realize that fear is usually a waste of time and energy. Once you break down the barrier of fear, you can focus on fulfilling your purpose. Mm -hmm. is, what's an example of one of your biggest fears that you faced that brought you closer to your purpose? Doing Starting my brand was a fear, you know? Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the putting your name on something and putting it out into the world is quite a scary thing for a creative person. And it's a big leap of faith that you have to take when you start doing it. The kind of, you know, things you have to do, the amount of people you have to reach out to, the fear of rejection, you know, is, yeah. is a big one as well. Once you do it a few times, you get over it. So like, you know, you're like, actually, that's fine. I'm used to it. So, um, yeah. And, and that really, in fact, the fear, um, in my experience is, um, is, is a huge waste of time. It's such a, so much energy that goes into that, which is completely, uh, doesn't help anything basically. So once you kind of can, take care of that aspect of it, you have so much more time to achieve everything else you'd want to do. <laughs> Is there a practice that you use to move through that fear when it comes up? I think that it was- And just jumping? <laughs> yeah. I think it was incredibly scary um, initially. And and over time, I, I now can look back and think, well, that thing, that other thing was very scary and I did it and it was fine. you know. And uh, so you learn a confidence <laughs> um, or a sense of 
stability and confidence. And as, of course, um, people reacted to the brand and um, people liked it, you know, it really helps that when people buy it because you realize, well, if that person finds use in it, someone who you respect or a buyer that you respect or, you know, like your store, actually, I came, I, I visited your shop um, years ago. Oh, yeah. yeah, I forgot the yeah. story. This <laughs> I, is so funny. Yeah, I visited your shop years ago, and and I was I was like, this is a real store. Like real women are shopping here. I can feel it. I can feel it from the the people in the shop, but also the selection and the way it was laid out. And I I knew that I would like to sell in your store. Well, we love to sell it. So I was so happy when you came in. And that's that's really gratifying as a designer because you're like, well, if they think that I'm okay and what I'm doing has value, then this means something. It, you know, it's, it builds on itself. Yeah. 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 Well, one thing you said, you, you push yourself and your brand and your words towards light energy, not dark energy, and to be uh-huh. gracious and kind, which I think is really unusual in fashion. Uh-huh. And especially when, you know, the way we work, I've just come back from Paris and we have eight or 10 appointments a day for of seven or eight days. And if you are a feeling person or a perceptive person, mm. you really do feel whether you want to be with a brand or not, it's a real thing. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I mean, it's, um, I mean, at the end of the day, it's, you know, you have the choice of, you know, these 10 dresses and, and what makes the difference between them. I think, you know, it's a, it's a lot about how you identify and what you believe in. And I think it really makes a difference. I think I made a very conscious decision early on that I wanted to work with people I like. And it's very easy in fashion. Um, it moves very quickly. People are very mm. disposable or they seem to be disposable. Mm-hmm. And um, the product seems to be disposable. It's very easy for, you know, there's this emphasis on cool. And um, and it's easy for you to, for people to think that being cool is being mean or dark, you know, <laughs> and, and you, you basically have to consciously decide that's not, you know, that's not what you know, I stand for that's not what I'm going to do. And everyone I work with is um, wonderful. You know, I pick them because I want to spend time with them, you know. How do you share that with your team? Is it just, it's just a value that sort of seeps into everyone? I think so. Yeah. We're very consciously. And and if it doesn't work, if if it's not there, then they don't work out typically. Yeah. And it's, it's really clear, you know, um, as in every team, like one person could change the energy completely, you know, um, everyone's important that way. So, so yeah, we're very careful when we choose people for our team that, that they're people we want to spend time with, you know, and um, because we will, we, you know, I spend so much, they're my family. I spend time with them every single day. I am determined that, you know, I want my life to be a certain way and I don't, you know, I want it to be a lovely thing that we're doing, you know, making beautiful things for beautiful people. And I, you know, so that's, that's what I focus on. How have you redefined what success means to you since you first started the business? Because I think that, that the world's changed very much. Yes. For me, success, the kind of mission statement I gave myself when I first started was that I wanted to make beautiful things for beautiful people in a beautiful way and make sure that it was sustainable for myself and for everyone that was working with me. That's been the goal. Of course, as you grow, that means you have to sustain more and more people. And so that's always the challenge. Um, But that's always like kind of like the guideline or the step that I'm looking towards is like, if everybody has a wonderful life from working in this business, then in a way, that's the ideal, isn't it? I don't remember if Canadians have proms. (laughs) We do. But one of the questions. Oh, you do good. Okay. <laughs> one of the questions we ask all of our guests at the end is what they wore to prom. So I can't wait to hear what young Adeline wore in Vancouver. 
I, I loved Audrey Hepburn. So mm-hmm. I kind of wore like a kind of like a Givenchy ripoff, basically. Um, it was a black column gown and it was made out of this very heavy jersey and it had um, like a open back that kind mm. of laced up with ribbons and and had these kind of like this kind of rhinestone kind of clasp thing and um and had a bow sleeveless sleeveless or, sleeveless and yeah and what what kind of neck it was like a boat neck so it was very kind of like a Audrey Hepburn circa breakfast at Tiffany's vibe I love it yeah and that's and um, shoes she and she's a future lady you know oh yeah yeah, yeah she's <laughs> so... <laughs> exactly and then any any hair jewelry shoe accessory memories yeah I had these strappy high heels I used to wear really high heels I kind of got over that <laughs> like as my life became more demanding <laughs> but yeah they were very strappy um very elegant it sounds beautiful thank you Adeline so much you're welcome what a, what a treat to talk to you thank you oh thank you so much for having me what We Wore is produced by Capital and Balto Creative Media. The original song, Someone So Enchanting, was composed and performed by Britt Drazda. Please follow us on Instagram at What We Wore Podcast for additional content and show updates. QueenCityPodcastNetwork.com. dot com.